Welcome to the Unmanned Traffic Podcast, where you'll hear from experts and industry leaders in the UTM space. Today I have with me Ben Marcus. He's the co-founder and chairman of AirMap. Welcome to the podcast, Ben. Thank you for having me, Ian. So, Ben, um, just to get started, what's your background? What brought you to AirMap and what brought you to the whole UTM space? Well, I was uh, one of these kids that got super excited about flying when I was very young. When I was about five years old, I used to hang onto the chain link fence at the local airport and watch airplanes taking off and landing. Was fortunate enough to take my first flying lesson when I was 10 years old. Grew up flying airplanes. I used to wash airplanes in exchange for flying lessons. Eventually became a pilot, uh, became a flight instructor, went to college for aeronautics. After college, initially started in a career as an aircraft salesman and later became a flight test engineer on an aircraft certification program. And in 2006, started my first company called Jet Aviva. Together with my best friend, we grew that company into the world's largest seller of business jets. Jet Aviva today sells about 120 business jets per year. We have several thousand clients in in about 40 countries around the world. So that was kind of my entrepreneurial start. In uh, late 2014, I started thinking, you know, what can I do to apply my passion for aviation to something that has the potential to really impact millions, if not billions of people? How can we make aviation useful for billions and not just for billionaires? My friend took me to the the local park. He just bought a a new DJI drone. It was uh, an amazing experience. Got to fly this thing. You know, I, I had flown remote control helicopters as a kid, which were really, really hard to fly. But this drone was just so simple. You, know, you just let go of the controls and it stayed at one point in space. And it just really started to open my imagination to what was possible with new technology. All of these technologies from cloud computing and mobile phones and self-driving cars and so forth uh, were, were making their way into aviation. The $500 DJI drone that my friend had just bought had the same sort of capability that uh, military drones for $50 million had previously had, and now anybody could have it. I saw around the corner that before long, this was going to become part of daily life. And in fact, we were going to reap so many benefits from the sky, whether it was for fun or for industrial inspection or for package delivery, or eventually moving people on giant drones that we call EV tools. I started thinking, what you know, what can I do to make that future a reality? What, what can my contribution be? And at the time, there were um, a lot of people thinking about the hardware, building drones, or a lot of people thinking about software for specific applications, but nobody was really yet addressing the question of how are we going to manage the airspace? And, and so that's what drew me to starting AirMap and an incredible ride since. AirMap is really involved in unmanned traffic management. And I was wondering what your definition of unmanned traffic management is and what do you envision it looking like at its full scale? That's a really great question because the definition of unmanned aircraft traffic management, I think, remains elusive. There's you know, a lot of different opinions of, of what it means. For me, the way I think about it is what does the operator of the vehicle need in order to be able to successfully accomplish their mission. If you want to fly from one point to another, you need to be able to get there safely and efficiently. So I think UTM is all about providing the services that allow you to get from one point to another safely and efficiently. That comes down to basically having a route. That route is determined by applying algorithms to large sets of information. The foundational platform of UTM, in in my mind, is what I like to call a geotemporal index. It's a database of all things geospatial through time. 
you can also think of this as a four-dimensional digital twin of the world. It's, it's all things in 3D with the fourth dimension of time. We're talking about obstacles and terrain, airspace restrictions and other traffic and weather, population densities. All of these data elements come together to form this geotemporal index of the world. And then on top of that, there are services provided like routing for the drone operators. But there's other stakeholders that also need certain services that are built on top of that platform. So things like remote identification for law enforcement. Police officers want to be able to know uh, who it is that's operating this drone that they see fly overhead. But ultimately, the objective of it is to enable drone operators to fly safely and efficiently at scale. AirMap has been really involved in the implementation of UTM here in the United States and globally. What have you guys been working on with the FAA and NASA through their UTM pilot program? We started with NASA back in 2015. We were one of the first commercial participants in NASA's UTM research and have been engaged ever since in all of the TCL demonstrations, TCL 1 through TCL 4, as well as the more recent NASA national campaign for urban air mobility. With the FAA, we started working with them back in 2016 to help guide what ultimately became LANCE, the Low Altitude Authorization and Notification Capability, participated in the working group that developed the technical implementation of LANCE, and then we were the first approved LANCE provider a few years back. And we've been really excited about how that has opened up the skies for commercial drone operations in a way that wasn't really possible before. Before LANCE, uh, if you wanted to fly a drone for a commercial purpose within controlled airspace, you would have to send a request to the FAA 90 days in advance. And that clearly was not a viable approach for most business uses of a drone. You really need to be able to fly today or tomorrow, not 90 days from now. Lance has increased the number of flights in controlled airspace by 100 fold, and it's proven to be a very safe system. Now with the uh, UPP or the UTM pilot program, which is really a collaboration between NASA and FAA to demonstrate how the NASA UTM research can be applied in operation. We were participants in the UPP-1 last year. This year, we're participating in, in UPP-2 as well. So very supportive of uh, all of those initiatives. We're seeing good progress here in the U.S. We're also seeing good progress with similar initiatives in Europe and in Asia that we've participated in as well. And UTM has really become a, a global phenomenon. And I would give credit to PK, our, our friend from NASA. His full name is Paramal Kapartikar. Some of your listeners don't know PK. Um, but he's the guy that really spearheaded this. I think of him as the godfather of UTM. His idea has now flourished around the world and has become the accepted manner in which drones will be able to fly safely and efficiently at scale. AirMap is a UAS service supplier for the FAA. What are the responsibilities involved with being a USS now that you guys are in the remote ID cohort? From the beginning, we've really believed as a sort of fundamental principle that UTM should be an open system that encourages lots of service providers to offer specialized services for different types of drone operators. So we've seen quite a number of USSs now be approved by the FAA to provide land services, and we imagine the same will be true for, for remote ID. And we think that's a very good thing for the industry. It gives operators a choice. It creates a competitive dynamic that requires USSs to continually innovate and, and become better and provide better value proposition to their users. Responsibilities of a USS uh, today with Lance are to evaluate flight plans against the 
known rules, which are provided by the FAA, to either authorize or decline those flights based on those rules, and then to pass data to the FAA that is required for them to essentially log where these flights are happening. And then the FAA takes that data and makes it available to air traffic controllers on an as-needed basis so that air traffic controllers have situational awareness of where drones are flying in the controlled airspace around their airports. Remote ID, at least as currently contemplated by the Notice of Proposed Rulemaking and the standards work that has been done in ASTM, as well as the inter-USS protocol that has been open sourced on GitHub and is now managed by the Linux Foundation. Within that context, the way that remote ID is anticipated to work is similar. It's also going to be an open system with multiple USSs providing remote ID services. AirMap is one of the members of the cohort working on the technical implementation of remote ID together with the FAA. That process is still early and developing, but our objective in that is to help ensure that the technical implementation is also open, allowing for competition. It's allowing for an exchange of the critical data while protecting privacy of the operators. We're eager to see that work come to a conclusion and for Remote ID to be rolled out so that we can have a whole lot more drone flights. Remote ID has been a big topic within the industry lately, especially within like recreational pilots. What are your thoughts on the, the proposed rulemaking of Remote ID and do you think that the proposed rulemaking should go through as it stands or should there be any changes? Well, I think, you know, by and large, it's the right approach. There's a lot of value in both the network and local broadcast approaches. And I think it makes sense for drones to provide both where, where possible. There were some things I was concerned about. For example, I, I don't think it makes sense for the general public to know the position of the ground control station and who's operating that ground control station. That seems like an invitation for harassment of drone operators, which I don't think is a great idea. And there's other there's other nuances in the rule that, that I think are problematic, but I think the FAA will address those. I mean, they received like 50,000 comments or something, which is a huge number compared to most notices of proposed rulemaking. So I think the final rule will probably look a little bit different, but generally I think the, the core tenants are, are likely to be uh, as proposed. And that network piece of remote ID is critical for the UTM infrastructure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, fundamentally deconflicting drones from one another, providing services that allow for optimized routing really isn't possible without knowing the position of drones. Determining that position through ground-based sensors has proven unviable. There are many, many technical problems with things like radar and camera-based systems and, and acoustic systems. And all these, these are all extremely expensive, not very accurate. It's just a whole lot easier if everybody voluntarily shares their position information. This will really allow for a scaling of the drone economy. AirMap is involved in UTM in a few different countries. You said that the concept of UTM may have been born in the United States, but has any specific country taken this concept and ran with it and made more progress as compared to the United States? There's been a few. One country that I think is particularly forward thinking on UTM is Switzerland. The Swiss Federal Office of Civil Aviation, it's their equivalent of, of the FAA's regulatory arm. They actually have an innovation office, which is kind of unusual in regulators because the regulators don't tend to want to innovate. There's a specific office within the Swiss Federal Office of Civil Aviation that just is responsible for innovation. So they've done things like certifying the solar impulse aircraft, which was the first solar aircraft to fly around the world. Certification of that aircraft was recognized by every country that the solar impulse airplane overflew 
on its on its flight around the world. But within that innovation office in the in the Swiss Federal Office of Civil Aviation, they've also pushed forward the Swiss version of UTM that they call the Swiss U space. There's a well thought out document which is the Swiss U space concept of operations, and they've also developed a working group that's called the Swiss. U-Space Users Working Group, or SUSI, S-U-S-I. The Federal Office of Civil Aviation there has already started to accept UTM as air risk mitigation strategy. And, and this is critical. The FAA has been pushing UTM through its concept of operations that it's published through the next-gen office. The people in the FAA that are actually responsible for authorizing beyond visual line of sight flights have not yet recognized UTM as an air risk mitigator. Switzerland is a little bit ahead in, in that way. So we've been we've been quite pleased to be working closely with Switzerland. We uh, have worked not only with the, the Federal Office of Civil Aviation there, but also with their air navigation service provider, their air traffic control organization, which is called Skyguide. We are providing the sort of backbone of the UTM platform for Skyguide that provides them with the services that they need, sort of similar to what the FAA implemented for themselves to, to handle Lance. We're very excited by the, the partnership we have in Switzerland and the continuing work that's happening there. Do you think that all drone operators should be required to plug into the UTM system, whether they're recreational or commercial? And should manned aircraft operators also plug into this system through remote ID? So I think all is a pretty big word. It's it's hard to really get everybody, you know, into a system. You know, I want to, like, I'm a pilot. I love flying airplanes. I, I want to be able to continue to manipulate the flight controls of an airplane, you know, w- without having some mandate on me that it's, that the airplane has to be flown autonomously. But I expect that the airspace where I can do that will, will shrink over time. If I go out and I fly aerobatics, fly upside down and that kind of thing. I can only do that in approved aerobatic boxes where other aircraft pilots know that there's aerobatic activity happening there. But that's probably the right sort of approach for remote ID as well. I do anticipate that over time, certain airspace will be designated as airspace that requires participation in the UTM system. And that means that even manned aircraft will have to participate in the system if they want to fly in that airspace. This is really the only way to get any scaling of flight operations. If you think about the way that deconfliction is managed today with traditional aircraft, it really relies on the see and avoid principle, which means that a pilot is responsible for seeing and avoiding other aircraft in in visual meteorological conditions. The see and avoid paradigm is actually not safe enough to scale drone operations or eVTOL, urban air mobility type operations. Today, where I am in Los Angeles, at any given time, there might be 10 or 15 small aircraft and helicopters flying at low altitude over the city police helicopters, news helicopters, that kind of stuff. But if we want to move 400,000 people a day to work in giant drones, eVTOLs, you might have 100,000 vehicles flying over the city simultaneously, not 10 or 15. And I can tell you, if I was just flying around using my eyes to see and avoid 100,000 air vehicles, it would be impossible. If we want to reach that kind of scale, which I think ultimately we do because of the great benefits it will bring to society and to the environment and everything else, those aircraft are going to have to participate in, in the UTM system. But I think it's going to be an iterative process. It's going to take time. First, we'll probably have some corridors, for example, that are for UTM participating aircraft only, and then that airspace will start to expand and ultimately it will be, you know, the majority of, of the low altitude airspace. And then, you know, some 30, 50 years from now or something, if we've proven that this is a safe way of managing low altitude air traffic, the upper altitude air traffic would start to be managed in a similar way. But I think that that will take some time to prove that this is a safe enough system to also, also work for 
747s that are carrying 400 people. I agree. I, I think that a autonomous system will work at the best in the end, whether it's autonomous cars, autonomous aircraft, or autonomous drones. Any accident that happens, the system can learn from it and make sure that doesn't happen again in all instances across the whole globe. How many years out do you think we are from seeing a full-scale UTM system like this in low-altitude airspace? I think it's going to be iterative. So I think we're going to see services starting to be, you know, layered on over time. I don't think it's going to be like an on-off switch. All of a sudden we have the UTM system. We, we already have a piece of the UTM system, which is Lance, that is operational. Soon we'll have remote ID, which will be another piece of the UTM system. Pretty shortly thereafter, we'll start to see some deconfliction services coming into, into place that will allow for beyond visual line of sight operations. Probably a couple years away from seeing UTM accepted as a one of many air risk mitigation technologies for beyond visual line of sight operations. It's not the it's not excluding other things like sense and avoid or ADSB, that kind of stuff. I think it'll be in addition to those, but it will be one of several air risk mitigation strategies that are accepted. I think it's it's really a, a matter of regulatory acceptance rather than a matter of the technology working. We've demonstrated through the NASA research work through the UPPs and through some of the things that industry has done around the world, that the system is a very viable approach already for strategic deconfliction. There are some regulatory steps that we have to take in order to get acceptance of that system for wide scale beyond visual line of sight operations. Where can people go to learn more about AirMap and what you're working on? And what's one thing you guys are working on that you're the most excited about right now? Awesome question. Well. If you want to learn more about AirMap, just visit our website, www.airmap.com. We've got a whole lot of information on there. There's a, an institute link you can click on that'll give you a lot of insights into what's happening in UTM. One of the things that we're working on, and I, I alluded to it earlier, is our routing engine. It's actually something we've been working on for many years, and it keeps getting better and better. And you know, every month or two, I see what the team has done to improve the routing engine. It's just super cool. All of the data that flows into making the decisions about the most efficient route to fly, getting richer and richer, the analysis is better and better. You're gonna to start to see this deployed in ways that allows you know, beyond visual line of sight operators to avoid real-time risks on the ground, avoid both historic and real-time air traffic, routes efficiently around and above terrain, saving battery, all kinds of really, really interesting things. We recently made an announcement about the AirMap Defense Group being formed. We've been selected to provide some services for the Army and the Marines. We'll be talking more about that in the weeks to come. But one of the things that we're doing for the Army and the Marines is providing them with safe and efficient routing of short-range reconnaissance drones. They're starting to implement this system. We like that they can do that outside of the realm of ordinary civil regulations because they, they sort of operate in their own in their own world. That's really exciting. We'll see more from us soon about that. Sounds like a game changer. Thank you, Ben, for being on the podcast. It was it was a really great to have you on, and I hope to have you back on soon and learn more about what's happening in unmanned traffic in space. Thanks, Ian. It was great to join you.